0: Welcome to Habit Masters. I'm Sheldon. I'm Jeff, and today we have a special guest, Jessica Spear. She's an author, a thought leader, focusing all the tricky stuff with adolescents and teens. We go into a lot of stuff today about identity and then friendships. And she's written a couple amazing books. Actually, the more she talked about, the more I thought I had to get this one. So I bought one of them. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading that with my daughter. But this is a good, good episode on, on, on teens and parenting and friendships. And I think you'll like it. Welcome, Jessica. Do you mind sharing just a little bit of your background for our audience and who you are?
1: Sure, I'm Jessica Speer, and at this stage in my career, I am writing books for kids on social emotional topics. I have a background in social sciences, and I've always been fascinated with relationships. And when my kids were in elementary school, I noticed things started to get trickier. So that really made me curious. And I dove into research on, you know, friendships and kids um, that gave me some ideas that I wanted to share with kids. So I started a friendship program that I ran out of schools and that eventually grew into my first book, which is, and it's got a long title. It's called BFF or NRF, which stands for not really friends. And it's a girl's guide To happy friendships, and then my second book, which actually comes out this summer, is on middle school, and that one's for for all genders. So at this point, I'm just really digging into helping kids and families really develop some stronger social awareness and healthier
0: relationship skills. Awesome! I got. We have some. We had a couple questions to kind of kick things off, but I want to ask them before that. BFF versus NRF. I've had many conversations with my wife about the difference in relationships that I had growing up and friends and hers. And it's not like you can stereotype everything, but I do feel there's a fundamental difference between like boys as they grow up and girls. <laughs> do you wanna, I, basically, it's like your whole book, right? BFF and versus yes. NRF. Like what's what's different? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that is such a great question. So here's one interesting just tidbit on that. So I would I ran this program for kids pre COVID, and I had a really hard time getting boys involved. You know, like there were boys that actually probably could have used this program, but we could not even get them physically there. So however, every time I'd run the program, it would be packed with girls, packed with girls. So there's a couple of things happening there. One is that girls are a couple of years ahead developmentally. Even when we come to when do they start adolescence? When do their bodies start to change? They're a couple years ahead of the boys. And that whole process actually kicks some things into gear that impacts their relationships. Girls, you know, one of the things that happens is as kids move from younger friendships, where friendships are totally based on play, they start to shift in the preteen years to Friendships based more on shared interests and deeper levels of connection, you know, as kids individuate, pull away from family. So girls start that whole process earlier, which shifts things. If you had a friendship that was based on play and then all of a sudden you're not actually into that anymore, you know, and you're looking for something different. So that's why girls tend to hit some bumps in the road earlier. Now boys, I'm not gonna you know, they're not off the hook. You know, so <laughs> so come middle school, there tends to be a lot of changes too, uh, you know, often tied to the same these transitions that they're having developmentally. And but what I found is boys tend to deal with them differently. You know, girls it, it, it feels really big. They really, you know, girls are so relationship oriented that they want to figure this out or sometimes they're going behind somebody's back to try to figure it out and it can sometimes get messy that way. Boys sometimes... It's still frustrating for them. Maybe a, a tricky relationship. They might bottle it up, and then it might just explode at some point. You know, there, there might be some sort of <laughs> outbreak or something. Out. <laughs> so I just saw them playing out in different ways. Yeah, but I think you know the skills that I was working with kids and that I talk about are the same. They're really the same for all genders. It's just sometimes these r- scenarios play out in different ways. So, the, my first book, the reason I did it for girls is I wanted it to be really relatable to girls I kept hearing similar stories over and over so in that book I have those stories because they were so familiar to a lot of the girls in my program that I, I wanted to make sure this book was super relatable to them but yeah. my second book for middle school it's it's scenarios that reply to anybody yeah so it just kind of depends on which stage they are Got it. To, yeah yeah <laughs>
2: So you mentioned in the title, right? So it's BFF or NRF. And then what was the subtitle? It's A Um, a a Girl's girl's Guide
1: guide to Happy Friendships. Happy
2: Friendships. Okay. So your goal is really to kind of guide them in creating better relationships, better friendships.
1: Yeah. Because there's, you know, let's face it. Friendship requires a lot of skills that we (laughs) learn over the course of our lives, and even yeah. you know now as a middle-aged person, there's some of these that I'm still not so great at. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's probably a good guide for all of us, right? <laughs>
1: oh, totally yes. Yeah. So there's a quiz in the book, you know, how are my friendship skills? And would no matter what age you take that, there's going to be something that's like, oh yeah, that's the one that's you know I'm not so great at. Maybe you know sharing my feelings, or maybe compromising. So there's always something that we we have some room to grow, but so friendship require a lot of skills that that kids are developing. So it makes sense that they're going to hit bumps in the road because there's some things they're not so great at. There's some things that the kid that they're friends with, they're not so great at. So it just makes sense that there's going to be conflict and change, but all those can be opportunities to, to grow and to learn how to navigate tricky situations, to learn how to communicate better. So for parents... Mm -hmm. Instead of kind of getting mired into each individual conflict, parents can come at this as like, okay, this, you can, you can see what's happening from a bigger picture. And how can we guide our kids in a way that helps them learn that skill? That's really making this a challenging situation for them.
2: Yeah. So I have a question related to what you were just talking about. So it's probably easier to kind of identify on an individual basis, what someone might need, like, Hey, here's a, here's one of the tools that I think you could use specifically. But when you're talking to groups of people and groups of girls more specifically, cause you've been helping them, but I mean, boys or girls, what are some of the things you start with? Would you say like, Hey, here's the things that you probably should start practicing now. Like, cause that's what, Really, from our perspective, almost anything can be practiced, right? Any skill, like, sure, you may have natural talents, but anything, friendship, for example, you're talking about this, like most people, maybe they don't even think they can practice friendship. Like, oh, how do I practice friendship? (laughs) So coming back to habits, like, what do you suggest to people to start or to these, to these young kids? Well,
1: it's really individual. So let's say you first, let's take first maybe a more reserved, shy kid that for them, the skill is actually maybe putting themselves out there, maybe Mm -hmm. asking somebody to get together. So for them, that might be it. So parents, parents tend to know, like, what is it at this point in my kid's life that is maybe not helping them form connections? So, you know, on the other opposite end, you might have such a outgoing leader of a kid that they don't listen to anybody's ideas, you know, so, so it's kind of their way or the highway when it comes to choosing what to do. So for that kid, it might be learning how to compromise, you know, recognizing, oh, I've been the one that's been choosing the game, you know, for the last week you know, maybe I need to step back. So parents can help there, not in a shaming, condescending way, but bringing some awareness, like, hey, I noticed that you've always, I've been hearing that you're the one that's always, you know, choosing the game. Maybe it's time to see what your friends have to say. So, you know, kind of (laughs) gently raising their awareness, you know, so I wish there was an easy answer, like what to focus on. It's really individual based on the child or the preteen or the teen. And, you know, that's one thing I wanted. My book is full of quizzes because I I wanted it to be there to be a way to identify, you know, what are the skills that I maybe need to focus on? Yes. Just to sort of build that self-awareness so they can, you know, start their journey, which is a a lifelong one.
0: Yeah. Nice. Great. That's a good answer. Uh, so awareness of what you need to work on is the first <laughs> <laughs> thing. Bring is. awareness, right? You Figure know, out what you stuff, need. Yeah,
1: and we have to give kids a lot of wiggle room there because there's so many things that are just taught not so directly. Let's like, even like space bubbles, you know? So, so some <laughs> kids need to learn that, you know, it's nice to have a little space bubble. You know, some people really appreciate that. So just those little nuances, you know, that that we pick up. You know, over time, but just helping them. Oh, yeah, you know, some, you know, arm's length is a really good you know, space to give your friend. You know, like all these little things that we learn over the course. But sometimes, you know, if a kid is really late to learning that. It can impact their friendships. It can it can yeah. really impact their friendships. So if we can help, you know, bring their awareness a little earlier to the concept of space bubbles or whatever it might be, we're gonna they're gonna be one step further along to connecting with friends.
2: Should be like kids Seinfeld episodes, right? Like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the kid that stands exactly. too close. No. Exactly. No, a lot of adults, right? <laughs> that never oh. learned that concept.
1: Totally. Totally. Yep. Uh,
2: so good so i can't help i have the opportunity to work with
0: a lot of the youth through my my religion and you know my little congregation and i'm thinking of one in particular that just like that that the skill of a bubble <laughs> come right up and it's like five inches from your face and it's just like
2: <laughs> my toddler does that
0: she's crazy <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, I just can't get the image on my Anyway, I have a question about friendships and how it impacts kids and childrens or teens in particular, their identity. Jeff and I, we're, we've been talking a lot about this lately, how identity is tied to our behavior and our actions and nothing can really be a habit unless we see that action as being part of who we are, right? So I wanted to kind of start this question of how does friendships Actually, it's made as two part. How does friendships affect identity and how, when and how does identity really start to form in, in children and in teens?
1: Okay, great question. So when kids are beginning adolescence, which is a really long phase, you know, for yeah. some kids, it might start at 10 and it goes all the way through 1920. So this is a very long phase and all kids are starting this phase at a different time. But when they start this phase, they start to think about, well, hey, who am I? And who are my friends? And what do I like? And a huge part of shaping that identity is how their peers see them. So this is the phase that we tend to see the most transitions in friendship. There's a great study that came out of UCLA. They followed 6,000 sixth graders through the first year of middle school, and two-thirds of them changed friendships. And a lot of what's going on there is they're trying to figure out, who am I? And where do I fit? So they might try on some personalities that might not actually last that long. You know, that's where sometimes we see kids maybe dyeing their hair green or, you know, d- dressing a certain <laughs> way because they're just trying this on to see how this fits. Um, so there's a lot of transitions that go on, you know, during this phase and it yeah. takes a while as we now know as adults, you know, we're still kind of exploring our identity and who we are, aren't we? You know, we're just, yeah. it's, it's a lifelong yeah. <sighs> thing. So of course, when kids are preteens of early teens, they're at the beginning phase of this, you know, so it is, it, it can get a little messy because they don't <laughs> have clarity on that. And they're trying to figure out where do they fit and who are they? So of course that, that impacts relationships a lot. There tends to be a lot of changes. And one of the friendship truths that I share with kids is, you know, friendships have different phases and change over time. Cause if you're a young person and you had a relationship that was really important to you, and then all of a sudden it's not there anymore because maybe that person decided they're moving on or whatever, that, that can really hurt. You know, when, mm-hmm. when all of us lose relationships that are really important to us, it can be really painful. So just knowing that truth that friendships have different phases and change over time, I found was a relief to a lot of kids that like, oh, okay, it's not just me. Everybody is going through this. And and it's not the end of the story too. What I see a lot in preteens and teens, they might have a close friend that goes back down to an acquaintance and then they get back to high school and it might go back up to a close friend or it might kind of land in the middle, kind of as a friend. Mm. But you know, there were some transitions there based on things that were going on in their lives, especially as they're kind of starting to just think about their identities.
2: Mm. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Jinx. No. Uh, (laughs) um, Have
1: you guys seen that in your kids and in your work with kids? Have you seen that happening? Some of these changes and transitions?
2: Absolutely. Yes. As you were saying, and I was thinking, well, all the different examples I had in my own life and then in my kids, you know of people that I was, for me personally, that I was super close to when I was really young. And then as I got into the junior high years, middle school, whatever they call it in different areas, but I, we weren't right. We weren't like super close. And then we kind of landed, like I said, in the middle, some of them, and then others, you you know, you kind of re get reacquainted and, and you find that you like a lot of the same things. And it's funny that you said how much of it is tied to interests, right? Because I think that's true of once you jump into the junior high, high school days, that it's, it's very much, (laughs) very much tied to your interests. Are you interested in similar things. Well, and as an adult, you know, this kind of dovetailing into something slightly different, but similar is I I remember for a long time, I worked in a corporate environment and I had a bunch of friends as far as my coworkers went. And then when we moved on from that job, it just feels like all ties were lost almost immediately. It's like, right. And so there was a time in transition for me, even as an adult, where I was like, I was kind of like, well, I don't really have any friends, right? Like, that's, yeah. and I didn't necessarily want a ton of friends, right? Which is horrible, but but uh, I was focused on my family and, and work and things like that, but, and making them the top priorities. But I felt like it was nice to have some people that you could relate to. And it took a while to kind of transition out of that into more of a leadership role in my new position where I own a business and have a team there where you don't form the same kind of friendships you did when you were working on the same, i would say a hierarchical level in the in the corporation so anyway it's it's been an interesting transition and i think that that maybe just it's it's the same but different as you get older where yeah Anyway, I'm glad sorry, you that was...
1: said that about the adult friendships, because, I, you know, that truth, the friendship truth that friendships have different phases and change, it's lifelong. So <laughs> yeah. when we get to the adult world, we tend to transition friendships every seven-ish years. Not, not completely. We always will have maybe a one or two close friends that we carry all the way through. But as we go through these phases, we change. And I'm glad you brought up skills because and shared interests. So shared interests, because... You know, we always say, you know, uniqueness is totally awesome. But when we look at research on friendships and relationships, it's shared interests and similarities that keep friendships together. You know, so as kids are exploring themselves and adults too, they're going to gravitate to the people that have the same interests. So, you know, just, I think just knowing that that's okay, you know, even though we want everyone to be themselves (laughs) and unique, kids and adults are going to gravitate to the ones that they can really talk about the things they're excited about. And one interesting thing too, so if you look at what happens in schools, how they they tend to be in groups, you know, there tends to be maybe a group or several groups of kids that are very academically oriented. When there's another group of kids, it tends to be, you know, way into this other thing. And you know, and that makes sense because when those kids are together, they can really talk about those things, you know, and, and really connect at that level. So even though from the outside we might look at that like oh clicks and this, but what's really <laughs> going on there is people with shared interests are finding support and supporting each other and things that they love to do and, and connecting at a deeper level. So yeah, so shared interests drive our, our relationships and over the course of our lives, those interests change. You you might've noticed when you were a young parent, the impact that had on your friendships, you know, (laughs) (laughs) to start to hang out with other, you know, parents that had young kids.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you just pointed out, you know, that tribal mentality that's been in human nature since the beginning of humans really is like, Hey, we gravitate to the people that we feel like support what we're doing, what we're trying to do and who we're trying to be. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I just read this interesting study, too, that looked at, you know, so there's a lot of kids right now that are having some mental health struggles coming out of the pandemic. And so there's a higher rate of anxiety and depression. and, And that tends to really impact relationships, too, especially when only one person in that friendship is struggling in that way. So if both the teens are actually feeling a little depression that relationship has a longer chance or a better chance of lasting than if one does and the other doesn't. Mm. So again, back to those shared experiences, shared interests. So same thing, if you've got two kids, one of them is really socially anxious. The other one is not. You know that that relationship would have a much better chance of lasting if both of those kids actually were socially anxious. You know, because they could really connect on that.
2: (laughs) Relate to each other. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. So, so you know, if any parents do have a kid that's really struggling in one of these areas, sometimes it can be super helpful if they can find somebody who is in that same place that they are.
2: Nice. Yeah, I've never really thought of that. Actually, that's a great that's a great point. I was actually going to ask you about the how you've seen. The pandemic impacting the kids coming out of it, because I know a lot of them were kind of disconnected from their friends and school for so long, two years almost. That's, I mean, considering the life of a kid who's 10, right? Two years is 20% of their life. Anyway, what have you seen from that? How how, I mean, obviously more depression, more of that, but has... Has it been a struggle coming back from your perspective or what are you thinking? Yeah.
1: And from what I'm hearing from teachers is they're noticing that the kids have not grown socially, emotionally as they normally would have. If they had been like in person working through this, you know, together, a lot of kids are behind in some social emotional skills. That makes sense. If we pulled them out of the place that they... They it's like boot camp, you know, any school setting is boot camp
2: for social, emotional, <laughs> skills. emotional boot camp.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we've, we've pulled them out of that. So it certainly has had some impacts on how kids are doing and it's even just knowing who are my friends? So if they're connected online, it's hard to know how that translates to an in-person relationship. You know, some of those online friendships absolutely are in-person friendships too, and some are not. So it's hard for kids to know when they get back, you know, what does my social world look like? You know, because we normally would have gone through these transitions over the course of the school year, but they didn't get to experience that, you know, in person. So, so kids are, slowly kind of getting back in the groove but of course there's there's been some impact and you know a little bit of you know slowed growth in that area
0: i i'm trying to think of so my my children range from my my oldest is going to turn 14 this year my youngest is four and I actually have another one on the way i kind of run the gamut right and so i think cognitively speaking like an infant 100 dependent you know that a newborn baby on on parents and and their existence their being is kind of 100 pulled from their surroundings their you know their identity right and as they mature it's like my five-year-old it's like when he learns how it's like i can say no you know what i mean there's just this identity of who they are changes over time and becomes like you said more autonomous less connected to you know, what mom and dad thinks about him, awesome friends become way more important. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm, i do not sure if I have a question now. I'm just trying to figure (laughs) out, you know, as a parent, what can I do to help them see themselves in a way that, that promotes healthy growth and healthy friendships?
1: hmm That's a great question. And so the process you're describing is so normal and healthy, this individuation process where you know they hit the preteen teen years and they start to explore who they are away mm. from their families and that's when they do start to place a lot more weight in their friendships you know because they they start to want to share deeper levels with their friends the things they normally used to share with us so so I know some parents find that a very tricky phase you know cause like wait what happened you know <laughs> what, what, we were so close but what we can do as parents is continue to keep talking about healthy relationship skills and and what certain relationships you know, the, the, how they make us feel after we're spending time with that person, what qualities we are looking for in friendship. So I think sometimes parents stop talking about that once the kids are out of those elementary school years, mm-hmm. when it's actually really important to keep talking about that mm-hmm. as they are going through this important phase of change and figuring out who they are and who their friends are. Keep talking about that. You know, just keep talking about, hey, I noticed when you're Spend time with so and so. You always come back really excited and feeling good about yourself. But I've noticed when you spend time with this person, it seems like it, it has the opposite effect. So you're just as as non-judgmentally as we can as parents. Again, bringing awareness, just bringing awareness to things that are happening in their world, which is tricky, you know, because kids have a special radar of judgment. You know, if they notice that we as parents are, you know, oh, judging yeah. them or <laughs> judging their friends, it shuts down the conversation. So we have to be really careful about this. But I do think it is it is important to keep talking about, you know, the qualities of, of healthy friendships and being a good friend.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because I was going to say, so what about friendships that are, at least from an outsider's perspective, clearly not healthy, right? You talk about BFF versus NRF. So, in the NRF situation, you pointed out one thing we can approach it like. About what do you what do you normally say to girls as as you're trying to teach this concept? Like, how are they recognizing this for themselves, hopefully, and and knowing that, it, like Sheldon's son, like that they can say no and they can choose their friends and they don't necessarily need to stay around someone that doesn't support them or lift them up or make them feel better or I don't know. So maybe I'm going in too depth on the question. No, <laughs> and mean?
1: I that was part of the reason I wanted to come up with the term not really friends. And and I'm not a huge fan of labels. So I was really nervous about this. I thought, okay, here I <laughs> yeah. go. I'm about to introduce a new label to the world. But I needed a way to describe these friendships that aren't really friendships. You know, yeah. so how this is done in my book is I have something called the friendship pyramid. At the tippy top are our close friends, and there's the qualities with those, and, and those are harder to find. We tend to just have a couple. And then there's underneath the tip of the pyramid is this big swath of friends. And so, this is where we know them maybe they're teammates, they're neighbors. You know, they're not perfect relationships because none are, you know, and right. we're <laughs> not going to share that much about ourselves or secrets because we just don't know them that well. But we put them in the friend bucket, and underneath that, is acquaintances, you know, so that's the pyramid. And then, separate from the pyramid, I have my not really friend bucket. And so, here's what I have the descriptors of that. And what I encourage parents to do is just put this on your fridge because when we see these qualities in a relationship, it's going to be a good identifier that maybe at this moment in time, This relationship is not really a friend, you know, not to say that that doesn't change because we now know that friendships have different phases and we are all learning these friendship skills, but here's the qualities of an NRF that I'm reading off my bulletin board right now. You know, they're nice to you some days, mean to you other days, are untrustworthy, you know, maybe gossip and spread rumors about you or others. They're unaccepting. So they leave you uncomfortable being yourself and maybe even unsafe. So ask you to do things that you feel uncomfortable with. So for me, those are, you know, some things that can help kids see that, oh, this is maybe not really a friend, but right next to that, I've got, you know, with a big red, you know, arrow, be cautious, but kind. You know, so yes. <laughs> you know, we we're just we know that okay maybe this is not still really be bad, a but...
0: friend to them. But yeah, yeah. So we
1: can be kind, but we can realize this is probably not who I want to share my deepest thoughts and feelings with. I need yeah. to be a little cautious in this, but it doesn't mean that I don't treat this person with respect and dignity.
0: I totally like it's great. have a, a selfish ask here because I, I already, I already ordered your book, oh, yeah, <laughs> you. but, but this friendship pyramid, is there a link we could share this with our audience?
1: Yes, there is. In fact, I've got it on my website, okay. um, right on my website. I've got a whole just blog article on the friendship pyramids and you can just click on the link to the PDF. And if you can't find it, I, I write a monthly yeah newsletter on all these topics. So one of the freebies people get if they sign up for my e-newsletter is you get a PDF of the friendship pyramid. And yeah, from what I work with families, it's just so helpful to have that as visual, you know, because it's just a reminder for everybody like, oh, okay, I think this is maybe what's going on here. So just kind of a whole lay of the land of friendship, the friendship landscape, because it is, it can be tricky, especially as, as kids are learning these skills for the first time and learning, you know, what does a healthy relationship look and feel like, but also giving a lot of space for everybody to grow and change because the the changes I've seen during this phase for kids are amazing and they're awesome. So I don't ever want to write anybody off as they are this, you know, because they (laughs) might be that today, but next year they're going to be a totally different person. So so lots of room for that growth
2: we have a psychologist friend slash mentor who he wrote a book called personality isn't permanent. And I think it really, it does like, his name's Ben Hardy. I don't know if you've ever read his books, but he's got a great message on that specific topic of like people, people can change and people do change. Right. And you see that all the time. Like we see it in kids constantly, but for some reason, as adults, we assume that everybody stays the same. Anyway, that's, that would be a, a good one to reference. I, I've, I really like that concept. So I found the link. It'll be in the notes. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: (laughs) We had a a question here. Just a, a couple more is kind of as it relates to adults, right? I think This is just my opinion, but over the years, what I've come to see is that adults tend to complicate things. Life is more complicated than we try to make it. I get that, right? It's true. Like we tend to try and make everything fit into this little box of understanding. But I also think that as kids really do see the world a little simpler than adults do, and they don't complicate it with everything that's happened in their lives and all their past history. (laughs) So I was going to ask you do you feel like a lot of these same tra- same principles transition to adults or do you feel like there's a much more complicated explanation or how does that this friendship pyramid mm-hmm. does it work just as well as you age into the 20s 30s 40s and, and I, beyond <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I think it I think it actually does you know as we age we tend to even be more discerning with our friends you know cuz maybe our time is a little tighter especially in the parenting years so you know when we have time to spend with friends we tend to even be trickier than we might have been you know and more choosy more selective than we were in our younger years but then we get our senior years and we actually are much more open to you know do it to the time and bring you know people in our lives but i think the pyramid itself it really relates to all ages but i think you're right in the way that Adults, we do tend to complicate things. You know, one thing I've noticed is that what adults do is, like, say something is not working out. We feel like we need to just go in there and like end it. And but what research <laughs> says, what research says is, most of our friendships, since we know that our our relationship world, as far as friendships goes, is always changing, most of our friendships that maybe the the season of that friendship is ending, they phase out. So there is mm. not necessarily always the need to go in there and end things, you know? So, so we think that has to happen, but sometimes the best thing to do is let that just naturally fade away. You know, if it's, if it's no longer a great fit, because what that does at all ages is it allows the openness for that to maybe come back together in the future, you know? So, so sometimes those relationship ending conversations don't go so well, you know, cause because we're human and those are really con- hard conversations to have. So I'm not saying, you know, avoid that conversation. If that conversation needs to happen and you need to actually end a relationship, absolutely do that as gracefully and gently as you can. But if there's also a way just to let that relationship run its course, it, it allows that the openness to who knows what happens in the future. And, and I found the teenagers, that's also a nice thing to allow things to just fade away too. Because again, because teens and kids are changing so much that if they didn't, you know, really like throw a stick of dynamite on a friendship in seventh grade, maybe their junior year, they can rekindle things if they want to, you know, so just being really graceful with how we exit relationships, I think opens the door to who knows, you know, what might happen in the future.
2: Yeah, I really like that. And I wonder, you know, someone from your experience, do you have any tips or ideas on how someone might exit gracefully? Yeah.
1: What I Uh, always encourage people to do is, you know, it really is about us, you know, so there's, there's something that that relationship is not working for us. So keep our, if we need to take a little break, we might just say, Hey, you know, I'm just, this has been a really tough time for me right now, because of this in my life. And I, I'm just, I need to take a little break, you know, so, so keep it on us, whatever it is, if we need to say something or just start politely declining invitations to hang out, you know, so just, you know, people, we, we pick up on these things, you know, if if someone turns us down three times, we might not ask again. <laughs> and so that that's another way. And I don't feel it's dishonest, you know, I think if we're gracefully, hey, no, sorry, I can't do that. And so I think everyone can choose what feels right for them, you know, but realize that it's it's us, it's us that needs the change, you know, and so we don't have to go after them, on, you know, you are, you are X, Y, Z or whatever it might be, you know, we need a change and we could figure out how to, how to make that change as gracefully as possible.
2: I love that answer. Cause it really, I mean, I'm a big believer in taking responsibility for everything right in our lives. And I think that's, that's a great way of looking at it is, Hey, this is the change I need. Not necessarily that trying to change someone else, which never works anyway. Right. right. Um, anyway, sorry. That's a great answer. I loved it. I have a question.
0: You talk about friendship truths. Mm -hmm. and I know you just shared a few of them, right? But I'm guessing the the friendship pyramid probably talks about all nine. I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about, about those.
1: Sure. And so, like I said, when I was kind of diving into understanding this whole friendship world, I realized these were the things that we kind of learn over the course of our lives, but not in any clear methodical way. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. it can be confusing. So, these were the truths that I wanted to, when I was running my program, share with kids. And they're kind of peppered throughout my book because I think they helped the perspective stay on the big picture, you know, of just the nature of relationships. So, the friendship truth number one, is healthy friendships feel safe and accepting, mm-hmm. okay? So doesn't mean we can't be in, in a relationship that doesn't feel that way, but we might choose not to make that a close friend. But our healthiest friendships feel safe and accepting. Number two, everyone develops friendship skills at a different pace. And so this is one I feel is really important for kids and teens. This is where we hmm. can avoid labeling somebody as bossy or this, or you know, they're just learning, they're they're learning their own skills at their own pace. That keeps all this whole process in a growth mindset, you know. Friendship trick number three, I mentioned before, friendships have different phases and change over time. Friendship number four, close friendships can be hard to find. And so this one I found was really helpful, especially for kids that are in this transition when they're starting adolescence and there's, there is a shakeup in their friendship world. That's, it just happens. So they might feel like they haven't found their fit and that is totally normal. I think, you know, both of my, I've got two daughters, both of them went through a phase where they felt like. I have friends, but I don't I don't feel like this is this is really my <laughs> thing right now. They they knew they still were longing for a better fit. Um, so let's see, number five. Some kids with strong friendship qualities may not have the in quotes most friends. Some kids with the quotes most friends might not make the best friends and we can have a whole conversation this this is where we uh, get yes. into popularity we can have a whole nother show on this subject alone <laughs> just what happens that the, when the term popular enters kids vernacular and you know what types of popularities there are but this that that truth encourages quality versus quantity when it comes to friendship it's friendship truth number six everyone makes mistakes Number seven, we teach others how we want to be treated by speaking up. But I go into a lot of detail as to how do we speak up in a way that connects versus mm-hmm. divides. And that is a learned skill that yeah. takes practice, you know, but it's pretty simple. So I would we I would practice this with kids. How do we speak up in a way if we really want to connect with somebody and, and you know, help the relationship? How do we do that? Number eight when things get tough in a friendship, it's important to respond in a way that feels right to you. And for this truth, you know, we are all so different. So we talked earlier about, you know, how do we exit a relationship? That is going to so depend on each individual, what feels right to us. And I like to give kids and adults the bandwidth to figure out what really feels right for you, you know, cause there right. is no single way. And, you know, one of, one of the parts of the book and my friendship program that I loved is I'd throw out a, throw out a scenario, a tough one, and then everybody could share like how they might navigate that. And I loved hearing all the different ideas, you know, cause there is no single way as to how to navigate. And sometimes, sometimes it's this, I'm, this is not something I'm going to get involved with, in. You know? So sometimes, sometimes the strategy to navigate is I am not, Getting involved, that's not that's not my issue. That's not that's where I'm gonna <laughs> Exactly. So knowing that, the art of not getting involved if it's not really involving us. And then number nine, you choose which of your friendships to grow. So everybody can choose which of the friendships they really want to put their time and energy into.
2: Love it. I love that. Those are great. I mean, we could honestly have an episode on each one of those. No. We <laughs> um,
1: totally could. Yes, we could.
2: I really, yeah, those are some of those are really intriguing and I think super important. So I'm, I'm, I've got to grab your book and and, and share my. Sheldon's already bought it, so he's, I, I'm he's looking forward to like it. Uh,
0: to reading some reading it with my my little girl. She's. A- She's 11 going on 16. So perfect.
1: Oh, this is a perfect age. I love it. So, that is this is a perfect age. To, yeah, that's my thought for this book. I was like seven to. Seven to 12, 13 is the perfect age, you know, because you have the <laughs> opportunity right now, Sheldon, to help her just figure out how she wants to navigate this. You know, the girl, sometimes <laughs> they'll get pulled into it and not realize that they actually have a lot of choice with how they respond and how, you know, what they choose to say. And, you know, so I love it. Good. Go, go through it with her. Yeah, do, <laughs> do it with her because that'll give you guys. Yeah,
0: framework to,
2: to grow from. Yeah. Now you'll have something to talk to her about, too. you?
0: <laughs> I, I want to go back. You talked about a, a judgment radar. Okay, I have to give my wife so much more credit because she's so much better at this. I feel like sometimes I get to this trap of, oh gosh, I, I don't feel like I'm overly judgmental, but maybe I am. I'm trying not to be. How, how do I? It's a work in progress. I, <laughs> yeah, it's a work in progress. What are some tips on how to, as a parent, approach that? With children, maybe yeah. rather than the staying the problem, like bringing awareness, I think was one that you said at the moment. I think that's huge instead of <laughs> this is, you know, I, I found myself it's like, oh, you're with so-and-so and you come home angry. That's judgmental. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know, maybe not. So, you know, it depends. It totally depends the delivery on that, Sheldon. Okay, so okay. so they walk in the door and they're angry. So the there's two paths you can take on this. You know, path one is like, how dare they? I can't believe, you know, that kid, whatever. You know, so immediately coming, getting mired in whatever happened, and assuming the other one is, you know, to blame for the anger. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, they walk in angry and you're like, oh my gosh, you look really upset, you know, what's happening, you know, and just bringing some awareness first to the emotion. Cause you know, when we are first learning emotional intelligence, we might not even realize at that moment, you know, we're feeling really, you know, we're feeling our fists are wound up and our jaws clenched, but we not, might not be consciously aware in that moment that we are angry. So helping them realize that in that moment, they're, angry then giving them the chance to process that so as humans the more we talk out loud like we start to put words to what happened so letting them just share it with you exactly what happened in their perspective you know that that will help them just getting mm-hmm. it out getting the story out but you as the parent are realizing I'm only hearing one side of this story you know no we're not going to say that to our you know our kid because we want just to sound we want to be this sounding boards for them Mm. you know talking about their emotions talking about exactly what happened but as parents we can stay grounded one in not letting their emotions trigger our emotions Brene Brown writes a lot (sighs) about secondary trauma so sometimes you know we all have some you know bad memories of childhood or whatever you know and so sometimes we'll our kids will trigger those in us, and then we will be on our very own emotional roller coaster. So, so when they are having this emotion as much as possible, we need to like set ours aside, you know, so we're not on our very own emotional roller coaster. And our job is the coach, the emotional coach, to let them navigate their own emotions, you know, and help them talk through it. And then when they are calmed down, which might not even be that same day, might be another day. If they feel like it's something they want to respond to, I encourage kids to see, think of their options. You know, so this is again—they're they, going to throw them all out there, and some of those options we might hear as an adult and be like, "Oh no, don't do that! <laughs> like that's <laughs> really bad." But let them get them all out there, you know, like just we're brainstorming now, you know, what do I, what might I do to solve this situation? Just get it out. Even the, the good, bad, and the ugly, you know, chances are they're not going to land on that ugly one. And we can kind of <laughs> encourage them not to land there too, but let them get that out. Because what that is doing is they're increasing the confidence in their own problem solving. Okay, so we've let them come up with a bunch of options, and and I this is where I have to bite my tongue because I'm so full of ideas. You know, I've got the perfect solution for them. You know, so I have to really like bite yeah. bite my own tongue because I want to jump in there and help them solve this problem. But if I can manage to, you know, give them the chance, and then if they if they truly are stuck you know, I can ask, Hey, are you open to an idea here? You know, get their permission for me to jump in. So I, it's perfectly okay. If you walked in and noticed her anger, actually, I think that's really good that you walk, you noticed her anger. And then it's, it's a great time to have some conversations.
2: All right. That's also, good advice for a spousal relationship. <laughs> totally. 100%. Try not to fix it right from the get-go. i yep. made that mistake lots of times. So there you go. Yes. You I got too. ideas. Plenty of ideas. <laughs> Let's solve this right now. Yes. Okay. A couple more questions. You've given us a lot to chew on. This is wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your ideas and, and what your practice here. So this one's more of a specific question to you because we're all about, we're, well, and we're all about habits, but we find habits to be kind of key to a lot of things, right? Success in almost any realm long-term. So what do you feel is a habit that has had the most positive impact on your life for you?
1: Don't make assumptions. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, as humans in relationships, you know, we're always trying to figure out what's going on in the other person's head or heart. And we are so often wrong. Mm -hmm. So as much as possible, do not jump to conclusions. Don't make assumptions as to why things are happening, why somebody responded a certain way. So just that one simple habit can just eliminate a lot of unnecessary stress and drama. So, I encourage my kids to do that too. So, if somebody, you know, say somebody doesn't respond to a text, we're like, oh my gosh, they must not like me anymore. You know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, that's happened to my kids and their friend who didn't respond lost their phone. You know, so, so, so they're in this, they're, you know, my kids are in a state of turmoil because, oh my gosh, they didn't respond to my text, but actually the phone is lost. And so, if we can get really good at not jumping to conclusion and not making assumptions, we're going to save ourselves and our relationships a lot of unnecessary stress.
0: <laughs> so just saying every, every argument I've had in my own head.
1: <laughs> yes. I our heads are such a busy place, aren't they? I mean, we just, we can't help ourselves. We start to like, create stories and fill in the blanks. So this is, this is a tough habit, isn't it? I mean, just to notice, oops, there I go again, you know, I'm yeah. filling in the blanks with a story <laughs> in my head.
2: So what, what have you done to kind of minimize that for yourself to, to practice that?
1: Just if I can catch myself when I'm doing, it, you know, and I'm not going to say, I don't still do this, I absolutely do. I think that's what the human brain does, but we can also notice when we're doing it. So when I find myself stuck on, why has that person responded? You know, I'm like, oh, there I go again. You
2: know,
1: who knows? I I have no idea. They just haven't responded. You know, that's the end of the story. (laughs) I I need to stop there and stop, you know, trying to figure out why.
2: Yes, they they do say our brain is a prediction machine. So we got to, it's always looking for what's going to happen, right? It's like, this this is all (laughs) dominoes to this. And you're like, no, it's not. It's okay.
1: Yes. You know, mindfulness is a great way to like get ourselves out of that future thinking and like get back to right now in this moment, you know, take a deep breath, get back to what exactly I'm doing in this moment. You know, when my mind is projecting into the future or stuck in the past.
2: Love it. That was fantastic, thank you. Uh, last one is well, unless Sheldon, do you have any more questions? You want no, to? No, no, go ahead. Well, we okay. could talk all day, but go ahead. Yeah, we have lots of things to talk about. <laughs> I mean, you've given us a lot because we're parents of young kids. So it's like this is perfect. <laughs> it's like all right, we will just pick your brain all day. You know, yeah, um, perfect. <laughs> uh, so, but where can we send people? How can they support you? What's what are your locate your best place to see your stuff and? Thank involved? you
1: for asking. Um, the easiest place is my website, which is Jessica. Spear S-P-E-E-R. So two E's. I always get confused with you know Spears as it's Britney Spears, but it's Jessica <laughs> Spear, singular, two E's uh, dot com. And there I have lots and lots of just articles on all sorts of you know topics in the realm of friendship and cultivating connection within families. And all my social links are on my website. So you can if you're on social media, you can connect with me there. And then I've got lots of links to where to find
2: my books. Wonderful. That makes it really easy. So just your name.com. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Jessica Spear.com and we'll leave it in the show notes as well. So they will be easy to find.
1: Good. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I love the work that you're doing too. This is, I love that you're putting all this focus on habits and helping us all create habits that are helping us, you know, create the lives that we want to live.
2: Yeah, that's, that's the goal, right? We're working on it and hopefully we help a few people along the way. Oh, sure. Many. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Jessica. It's been great.
1: Yeah. Thank thanks. you for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Jessica. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much to Jessica for joining us. Some awesome tips. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review. We're trying to get to a hundred reviews and when we do, we're going to do something special. But in the meantime, we wanted to share with you something very exciting. We just recently launched our new course, the Habit Masters Challenge. It's a seven day course that you do with a buddy. So it's always going to be two for one, which is awesome. And the course teaches you all of our favorite fundamentals for mastering the art of building habits so you can live your best life now. And the course comes with a lot of cool little little things to help you master that those fundamentals. And if you want some freebies from our website, just go. We got a new freebies page on there. There's a couple of books. There's a habit tracker that's totally awesome. So if you're not ready for the course yet, start with that. Yeah. Anything else we want to say, Sheldon? No. Well, lots of stuff, but I won't. Go do it. <laughs> yeah. You guys are awesome. Thanks again for listening. And it's time to start living your best life.